Victory Church. Man, it has been so good to worship with you guys. So good. I'm, I'm excited about continuing on in that worship because everything that we do is an expression of worship in our life. Absolutely everything, including the sermon. So I'm excited about diving into the sermon with you guys as we continue on in worship. And as we do that, I want to kick things off with a question. My question is, have you guys ever been in a situation, a point in your life, where you're kind of looking around, you're wondering, how did I get to this point in my life? Like maybe it's a low point in your life, and you're looking around like, what caused me to get to this point in my life? What, what happened? And then you start kind of looking back, you start tracing things back. And as you do that, you can see these choices that you made that ultimately got you to this position in the first place, this low point in your life. And the question then becomes, well, why did I make all these decisions? What caused it? What was going on in my head? What was going on in my mind that caused this? Because ultimately, guys, see, our actions, the repercussions of what happens in our life, it can be traced back to the choices that we make. And the choices that we make can be traced back to the mind, right? So what happens up here starts up here. It translates out here to our movement. And then it translates into the repercussions, the actions that follow. See, the things that are influenced, the, the things that our mind is influenced by, it ultimately steers the course, the direction of our life. The things that our mind is influenced by ultimately steers the direction and the course of our life. The big idea today is the depth of our spiritual transformation and growth hinges on the renewed mind. The depth of our spiritual transformation and growth hinges on the renewed mind. Romans 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, the renewed mind is one of the most pivotal, most important things for us as Christians outside of salvation. One of the most important things. I would even go as far as to say that outside of the gospel message, these two verses that we're going to be unpacking, we're going to be diving into today, are a couple of the most important verses in the Bible. I'm not saying they're the most important, but they're, they are definitely up there. Because there's so much that hinges on this. Our, the depth of our Christian maturity, the depth of our transformation as Christians, the depth of our knowledge of God and the world around us depends on how we respond to these two verses that we're going to be unpacking today. Before we unpack it, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this family that you've given us, for this church. And God, it's not the walls. We thank you for the walls. We thank you for the building. But ultimately, we are your church, your people. And you, you live inside of us, the very presence of God. You living inside of us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you just consume us, set us on fire for you, God. I pray that you just fill every aspect of our life, fill this room so we can feel your presence. God, I pray that you break our hearts for the things in our life that are keeping us from intimacy with you, because that's what we long for is intimacy with you. God, I pray that you, that the things that you want us learning today, the things that you want going into our mind, transforming our lives, Father, I pray that you just impact us with those things. If there's anything in this sermon that you want to change, Holy Spirit, I pray that you direct it. Speak through this broken vessel to me and to your people, God. We thank you so much, God, for your love. In your incredible name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to unpack these, this, these verses here, these two verses. We're going to start with verse 1 here. We're going to go through one verse at a time. Romans 12, 1. Let's read this again. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your 
true worship. So anytime that you see the word therefore in the text, anytime you see that word therefore, it should cause you to want to look back to see what happened in the pre- previous text. So we want to see what the therefore was there for, right? A little thing you can remember, what the therefore was there for. Right? And she causes us to look back. So what Paul is essentially saying is because of this, because of what we talked about before, before and all these other perceiving texts that, 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 we, that we talked about before, and we, we see this in the next few verses, it tells us what that is. He says, the mercies of God. The mercies of God. So essentially what Paul is saying here is because of all the mercies of God that we've talked about in the texts before, because of all those mercies, I have this to say. I have this to say. So we're going to unpack what, what Paul had to say about the mercies of God. But before we do that, I want to unpack this word. We're going we're to be doing a lot of dissecting here of this text today because there's so much meat in this. So this word mercy, it means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone when it is within a person's power to punish or harm them. And the mercy of God here is plural. It's mercies because God has shown us so much mercy, mercy after mercy after mercy, the mercies of God. And because of the mercies of God, Paul is urging these people, and he's urging us too. He's urging us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. That's what Paul is urging us as Christians. So we're going to keep on dissecting this here, but I want to start with this word sacrifice. It means service, obedience, and praise offered to God. Service, obedience, and praise offered to God. See, as Christians, we're called to sacrifice every aspect of our life, to be a living sacrifice for God in every single aspect of our life. And see, that points us back to the cross, to Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. When he paid the ultimate sacrifice, he sacrificed everything, his very life for us on the cross. And then he calls us, he calls us to sacrifice for him, to live our lives as a sacrifice for him. And there's so much intimacy that's found in this. It's this relationship that is being restored through sacrifice on both ends. On both ends, Jesus Christ, God sacrificed for us and calls us to sacrifice for him. And that relationship is restored through this. And, and this story can be, this, this can be illustrated through the story of a, of a bride. A bride that leaves her husband, just completely abandons her husband, goes off and just, you know, goes off with all these other men. Right? And just leaves him, abandons him. And so rather than that husband turning around and saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you because of what you've done. I give up. I'm done. I'm done. Rather than doing that, he pursues her relentlessly with everything that he has because regardless of what she has done, regardless, he loves her so much. His love for her has no limits for her. No limits for her. So he pursues her. He sacrifices everything, moving heaven and earth just so that she can have the choice. He doesn't force her. He waits on her just so she can have the choice to come back home. And then when she does come back home, when she, when she cries out to him and says, I'm so sorry for what I've done, broken over what she's done for him, he extends his arm in love and says, I forgive you. I love you so much. I've been waiting for you to come home. I love you so incredibly much. And see, when she sacrifices for him, she could never reach the depth of the sacrifice that he made for her by waiting for her, by sacrificing so much. But she sacrifices everything, throwing everything at him, holding nothing back, being embraced by his love. 
Because this is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The, the, the Bible references Jesus as our groom. References Jesus as our groom and us as the church, as the bride. Such an intimate picture of sacrifice can be seen, this love relationship that is stored through sacrifice on both ends. We can never measure up to the sacrifice that Jesus has given us. Such an intimate picture of love because that's what it's all about. The next couple of words in this text, it gives us the example of the kind of living sacrifice that we are called to be for God. It says holy and pleasing. Holy and pleasing. The word holy here, it means morally pure, upright, blameless in heart and life. And the word pleasing, when you dive into the Greek here, that word pleasing, um, there's a really, really rich meaning behind it. It means the word pleasing. That's literally what it means. It just means pleasing. Or, or you, could, you, you could switch that word um, switch that word to acceptable. So holy, again, meaning pure, upright, blameless in heart and life, or pleasing to God. That's the kind of living sacrifice that God calls us to be for him. And then the last couple of words in this text, it gives us the reason for it all. It kind of sums it all up. The reason for this, the reason that we are called to be a living sacrifice for God, holy and pleasing to him. Because that is when we engage in true worship. True worship of God and true worship for God. That's what it's all about. True worship of God and true worship for God. And we can't do that unless we are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. So I want to unpack these words true and worship. Starting with the word true, it's pertaining to reason or mind or your understanding. And see, the meaning behind this, it kind of, it shows us how God really cares about our heart. It's not so much about what you do. It's not the repercussions, the actions, the reason you sacrifice, the reason you do all these good things. It's the heart behind it. Why do you want to sacrifice for God? Why do you want to do these good things? Why do you want to engage in the church, in the Bible? That's what God cares about more than anything. He cares about our heart, the reason that we do what we do. And that's this word true, the heart behind it all. Then we get to this word worship. Worship. And I want to kind of take some time to unpack this word because there can be a lot of confusion with this word worship. There, it's, there's so much to it. See, a lot of times when we come to church, what will happen is we'll start singing these songs to God. And, and, and sometimes we don't really know what we're singing or why we're singing it, right? Like, I just sang the song. I have no clue what it just means. You know, I just sang the song because everybody else was singing it. You know, and then we have this really bad um, habit, at least I do, of getting distracted sometimes in life, right? I, I mean, like, you know, whether we're daydreaming or whatever it may be, we're getting distracted and we don't even realize what we're singing or why we're singing it. But I'm going to tell you something. When we actually engage in worship, there's so much power in that. There's so much power when we engage and worship with our loving creator. So much power in that because it's not about the physical posture. It's about the heart posture. The heart posture is what's matter, what matters. That's what God longs for is our heart and worship. And see, what happens when we engage in worship, then our heart and our mind, and in this text, the word mind, we're going to get to this in a little bit here, but that word mind, it's essentially the same thing as the heart, the seed of the desire. So our heart and our mind is in alignment with God's when we're engaging in worship. And when our heart and our mind is in, in alignment with God when we're engaging in worship, it's like we're holding nothing back. We're just worshiping in abandon. That's when it's like you can be in this crowded room and everything just fades into the distance as if it's just you and God just worshiping him with everything that you had, holding nothing back. 
nothing back. It's kind of like this dance. It's similar to a, to a dance that the Holy Trinity, the God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one nature, three persons have been in for all of eternity. And, and it's a metaphor. It kind of describes the intimate love relationship that they have for each other. And God has his intimate love for us. And so what he does is he kind of calls us, woos us, beckons us into this dance, this eternal love dance, so to speak, that he draws us into. When our hearts are in alignment with his, when we're engaging, holding nothing back in that moment, what we're essentially doing is we're joining in this intimate love dance with God. And it's just so beautiful, such this intimate moment of love with our loving creator, holding nothing back that he longs to engage with us in as well. It's such an incredibly beautiful picture. But see, worship doesn't stop there. Worship doesn't stop there. A lot of times we think worship is just music. That's only one aspect of worship. It's a powerful one, but it's only one. We are called to worship God with everything that we have and everything that we do, no matter what you are doing in life. It can be an act of worship. It's called to be an act of worship, no matter what it is. It's all about the heart position in it. No matter what you're doing, and it can be, and it's called to be an act of worship, an act of love, a love note, so to speak, to our loving Heavenly Father. And the other thing about worship, too, is a lot of times we'll, we'll kind of get confused about where we're supposed to worship. Like, where does this happen? Like, we start separating, um, we start separating the spiritual places in our mind with secular places. Right? Spiritual places and secular places. So, in other words, we'll say, okay, well, I'm going to go to church. It's a spiritual place, right? Let me put my spiritual mask on. Okay, I'm going to go to church. Or we'll, we'll go to, then we'll go to our job over here, and we'll be like, okay, well, you take that mask off. I'm, I'm, this is a secular place, right? Or we'll go to a Bible study and say, that's a, that's a spiritual place. You know, we'll go to a restaurant with our family and friends. That's a secular place. Or the last one, you know, we'll go to a Christian concert. That's a spiritual place. Or we'll go out to the mall to a, you know, a store, and that's a secular place. And we just kind of separate these two. Right? Let's kind of dive into this a little deeper. Exodus 3, 2 through 5. says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not Come closer. This is God talking. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Guys, as Christians, no matter where you go, no matter where your feet touch the ground, it can become a burning bush, a place where a pain -free, or pain, painful, ordinary life can be impacted by the presence of God because the presence of God lives inside of us, and he longs to burn through us. As Christians, God, we are called to be transformed into the very image of God. The very image of God. By, by being a living sacrifice for Him in everything that we do, no matter where we are, with everything that is in us, allowing His light to shine in and through us to this dark and dying world around us. Every single one of us as Christians is called to do this. And no matter where you go in life, no matter where your feet touch the ground, it can be a burning bush penetrating the darkness around us. You see, that's what Paul means in this verse when he talks about true worship. True worship, which is what this is all about. We are called to true worship, to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing 
to God, engage in true worship for him. That's verse 1. We're going to unpack verse 2 next here. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So this word conformed, what it means is to kind of be squeezed into the mold of something. So an example of this is like a penny press machine. You ever seen those penny press machines? You take a penny and you put it in to the machine, and then what happens is the penny starts taking the mold, the image of whatever the machine, the penny starts taking the mold of the machine. So in the same way, so many people, they're, they're kind of squeezed into the mold, into the pattern of this world, and their lives kind of are conformed to the pattern of this world. But see, Paul tells us, don't be conformed, don't be molded to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, transformed in Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. And it comes from the word morph. There's several different forms of this word in the Greek, but one of them is morpho. And the essentially, with the meaning behind that, it actually is used to describe a baby that is developing within a mother's womb. A baby that's developing in a mother's womb. Galatians 4.19, again, this is Paul talking. He says, my children, again, I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed and you see, Paul, Paul is he's, he's agonizing, he's longing for people who, they don't just, just understand, you know, knowledge-wise, the Bible and what Christ has done, but he longs for them to be transformed into the very image of Christ, to where their very life reflects his character and goodness. That is what Paul is longing for, agonizing for. He's like, guys, you've got to understand this. You've got to get this. It's not about the head knowledge, how much you know about God. It's about actually being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do. That is what we are called to do. See, when I have a daughter. I have a couple, two uh, children. My son, Liam, who's one, and my daughter, who's five. And when I take my daughter to school in the mornings, um, sometimes, especially now, it's starting to get a little bit colder outside. And she'll have this little coat on, and she's just, you know, she's five. She's little, skinny little thing. And, and uh, so she'll have a coat on, but she'll still be cold. So what I'll do, she'll be like, Daddy, I'm cold. And until the heater warms up in the car, um, I'll give her my coat. I'll put it around her. But when I put my coat around her, it just engulfs her, right? It's huge. Like, she's just this little thing. So put it around her, and it's just like way down here, right? But the thing is, if she were to wear that coat as she gets older, just to keep, you know, keep it on, then eventually she's going to grow more and more into that coat, fill that coat out more and more. See, she probably won't ever fill it out as much as I do, but eventually she will fill it out more and more. In the same way as Christians, when we grow more and more to the image of Christ, what we do is we start actually reflecting his goodness and character in our life more and more. Because we are growing into his image, but it's a process. It's a process that we have to go through. So going back to this word metamorphosis, again, this is, this is where we get the word transformed in this text. And, and metamorphosis, it's used to describe a caterpillar um, that turns into a butterfly, where we get that word there. And see, for us, again, we're being transformed to the very image of Jesus Christ, his likeness, his goodness, his character, um, being transformed in a continual process. And it speaks to the sanctification process. We're becoming more and more like Christ. We're becoming more and more set apart for God's glory, becoming more, the process of becoming holy is essentially what sanctification means. And, but the thing, it, does, it doesn't stop there. It, it, it doesn't stop there. See, so many people will talk about that, 
in the sanctification process, which is true, which is true. But it doesn't stop there. See, the thing is, the power of God is inside of us. So what happens is as we start growing the sanctification process, becoming more and more holy, more and more set apart for the work of Christ and his character, his goodness, at the same time, we also start growing more and more in the power of God that lives in us and wants to work through us. The power of God. See, when Jesus Christ came a couple thousand years ago, he started this, this plan of redemption. It was in place long before that, but he continued this plan of redemption. And the things that he did here on earth, he wants to do through us, through us here and now by bringing heaven to earth here and now. So in order to illustrate this, imagine with me um, somebody that you know or, or somebody that you know of. It could be somebody famous. Maybe it's uh, an artist or a painter or whatever it is. Somebody that has like a talent that you wish that you had. All right? And you were like, man, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could paint like that you know, or build like that or whatever. And let's say I'm going to use somebody that we all know, a basketball player, Michael Jordan. Um, I'm sure everyone in here knows who Michael Jordan is. If you don't, you should. Um, so imagine with me Michael Jordan, trying to get us all on the same level here. So imagine that somebody came up to you and said, all right, you have the opportunity to be transformed into the likeness of Michael Jordan, right? So in other words, his, when it comes to basketball, his basketball mind, his basketball abilities, what he could do on the court, you have the opportunity to be transformed into the very image of Michael Jordan when it comes to basketball, so every time that you step onto the court, man, you have got Michael Jordan's basketball mindset, Michael Jordan's basketball skills. I'm talking about, not right, not right now, back when he was winning championship after championship after championship, just killing it out there on the court. Man, I would be doing like 360 dunks and like just breaking ankles all day long, man. It would be awesome. And for those of you that don't know the breaking ankles concept, that, that's not literally breaking ankles. It's just, you do like a little crossover and you go to the, the goal and this guy over here, this defender over here just... You know, he doesn't even know what you did. Um, he's just like, what in the world just happened? Elijah's about to figure out what that's about um, here in a little bit. But um, so if you guys, would you guys, would you deny that? I, I mean, if somebody gave you that opportunity to, again, like adapt, be transformed to the very image of Michael Jordan when it came to Michael Jordan's basketball mindset or his ability, and maybe it's not basketball for you. Maybe it's like a painter, or maybe it's an architect or a doctor or whatever it may be, whatever it is for you. Just imagine that scenario. But here's the thing, guys. All these people, all these things that we're talking about here, that's just an illustration. That's superficial stuff. That's superficial. See, Bas uh, or Michael Jordan has absolutely nothing on the man that we're talking about. He has nothing on the man we're talking about. We're talking about the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, who wants to work in you and through you. So we were, he wants to transform us into his very image, the very image of Jesus Christ, so that he's working through us, the things that he did 2,000 years ago when he was here on earth, he wants to do the same things here and now, the very power of God that works through us. And as we grow into the character, the likeness of God, we grow into this power that is inside of us. We're able to release that power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, through our lives, bringing heaven to earth, thereby accomplishing God's plan of redemption in the same ways that Jesus Christ did when he came down from heaven. You guys get this? This is so huge. This is so huge. We have the same opportunity that God wants to give every single one of us as Christians. John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. 
See, the counselor that Jesus Christ is talking about is the Holy Spirit. He's talking to his disciples here, but he's also talking to us. Let's check out Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what did Jesus say that we would receive when the Holy Spirit comes? What did he say? It's okay. You can say something. It's all. Power. That's right. That's right. Okay. Power. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Receive power. And guys, the Holy Spirit lives inside of every single one of us as Christians. Every single one of us as Christians. That power is living inside of us. John 14, 12 says, Truly I tell you, this is again Jesus talking, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. This is Jesus Christ. I ain't making this stuff up, man. This is Jesus Christ talking to his disciples and to us. As his Christians, we have received supernatural power to do extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. God wants to use us Continue his plan of redemption by bringing heaven to earth right here, right now. The power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of every single one of us as Christians and longs to work to burn through us. The same thing with salvation. See, God doesn't force us. Going back to that illustration of the bride and the groom, he doesn't force it. He invites us into the dance. And then how much you want to come into the dance, the intimacy with him, is up to you. He won't force it. So as we grow more and more to his character, his likeness, his goodness, and then also through that power that wants to be released through our lives, transforming the world around us, accomplishing further the plan of redemption that Jesus Christ has set into motion by every single one of us, every single one of us. God wants to use. And the text goes on to say, by the renewing of your mind. To transform by the renewing of your mind. This is how that happens. Your mind has to be renewed. Renewing means that a person becomes different than they were in the past. A person becomes different than they were in the past. And the mind here refers to our intellect. So, so the intelligence. And, and also it's it also refers to the heart. See, when, when this, this scripture, this text is talking about the mind, it's also kind of referring to the heart as if they're in alignment here. So the seed of our desires, for example, um, where our desires come from, the motive, the action behind what we do. And it's intelligently. All right? God has created us as intelligent beings, so he wants us to know what we are doing, discern what we are doing, think about what we are doing. What is, for example, the cost of what I'm doing, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. And after I've measured and weighed all of these things, I know what I'm doing and I'm following after Jesus no matter what. Knowing what we are doing, that's the, the heart behind what we do. The heart behind what we do. And that is so important. And then next God tells us the results of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It says, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Will here means what one determines to do or has done. What one determines to do or has done. In other words, as we're going through this process, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we'll be able to discern, to know what God's will, see things through God's view, through Christ's lens, 
as we go through this world, our struggles, our situations, our the, the, the um, circumstances that we come into, whatever is going on around us, we'll be able to see through the lens of Christ. Rather than looking through the, the tattered, the broken, the foggy lens that we look through, we'll be able to look through the lens of Christ in our circumstances, in our situations, in our struggles, no matter what the world throws at us, we can look through the lens of Christ, through his perspective, through his perspective. I'm going I'm to use something to illustrate this a little bit here. So imagine um, a baby. When, when a baby is born, they have very, very blurry vision. Their vision is, is roughly uh, 2,400. And so their vision, it's, it's actually the eyesight. Eyesight is very, very blurry. Um, and then as they get older, uh, they grow about roughly three to six months. Their, their eyesight starts getting better. Uh, it's roughly 2,040. Sometimes it can be better. So their eyesight is much better, right? Almost the equivalent of ours. You would think that they would be able to see at this point. But the thing is, they're actually seeing is, is very, very blurry. Everything is still blurry. And the reason for that is because we see with our mind more so than we do with our eyes. We see with our minds. See the, the sensory input that this baby has received, it hasn't adapted enough. It hasn't grown enough. They don't have enough sensory input in their mind to be able to, to translate those thoughts through the eyesight. To be able to actually tell what they're looking at. So in other words, when we, when we look at a couch as adults, we see a couch. But see, when a baby looks at a couch, the baby just sees shapes and colors. That's all the baby sees. Again, even with 2040 or even better eyesight, still just sees shapes and colors. That's all the baby sees until it receives more sensory input, touch, sight, uh, you know, uh, hearing, whatever it may be. Until it receives more sensory input, the baby will still, even with good eyesight, only be able to see through blurred lens, so to speak, colors. And shape, but as it grows more and more, then all of a sudden that couch will become a couch. In the same way, as we grow closer and closer to Christ, more and more to the image of Christ, we'll be able to see through His lens, through His lens, through His perspective. Whatever is going on in our life, through our situations, our struggles, no matter what it is, we'll be able to see through the lens of Christ. Another way of looking at this is imagine, imagine that you're trapped in a maze. And um, you're going through this maze, and, and you feel, you've gotten to a point, and you feel like, man, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this. There's just no way to get out of this. I've tried you know, every possible avenue I can think of. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm trapped. This maze is beating me. It's beating me. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes down in a helicopter. Let's say it's Jesus. He comes down in a helicopter. And he says, all right, get in. Get in. Then you go up high into the sky. Right? With Jesus in the helicopter. That'd be awesome. Uh, and then you're looking down on your situation. From where you were before, you, like this peephole-sized view, the view, the vision that you had, the lens you were looking through then, it looked like you were trapped, like the maze had beaten you, but now you're looking down at it, and all of a sudden you're, you're like, I was only a couple steps away from, from the exit right there, and actually I was only a couple turns away from actually beating the maze. So that perspective that you once had, you felt like the maze had beaten you, but now you see that you were so close to beating the maze. What's changed? The only thing that changed was your perspective. Your perspective. Because you're now able to see through a much broader lens. Through a much broader lens. And see, when we start actually adapting to this and growing more into the image of Christ, being able to see through the lens of Christ, through a God's eye view, so to speak, Again, we're able to see through our situations, our struggles, the circumstances. No matter what life throws our way, 
we'll be able to see through the lens of Christ rather than our peephole-sized vision. We can see through the lens and the view of Christ. It doesn't mean that we'll be able to see everything or know everything or know the future. Okay, we're not God, but he wants to give us so much more perspective in our situations to know what he would do, what he would do. And as we grow more and more to his image, we adapt more and more into this. And um, I, I want to take this a little deeper too. When we, when we actually start thinking God's thoughts as well, what happens is we can actually start feeling God's emotions, right? We can start feeling God's emotions, and then our life starts reflecting his character and his goodness all the more, okay? And so to dive into what God's emotions, what his character is, let's take a look. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Again, as we grow closer and closer to the image of Christ, more and more like the image of Christ, we'll be able to actually experience his emotions and grow into his characteristics. And these things will flow through our lives. That's how that happens. That's how that happens. And guys, God wants to reveal his thoughts to us. It's not like God is hiding these things from us. We're not going to know everything. Isaiah talks about the secret things. Revelation, John was not allowed to reveal everything, write everything down. But the thing is, God wants to reveal his thoughts, though. He does, it's not like he wants to keep everything from us. He wants to invite us into this intimate relationship to know him, experience him all the more. And Amos actually talks about this. Amos 4, 13, it says, he is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man. The one who makes the dawn out of darkness, and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. But, but guys, when we have not been, we're not being transformed more and more to the image of Christ, what happens is we get stuck in this cycle, this sick cycle, within our own thoughts that are conformed to this world. You know, our thoughts, our desires, our movement, our actions, everything that we do is conformed to this world. It's like this sick cycle. We're chasing our tail, going down farther and farther and farther, when we're not being conformed to the, transformed to the image of Christ. See, our mind produces thoughts. The thoughts produce the movements, right? Or the desires, rather. The desires produce the movements, and the movements produce actions, like the repercussions of it all. So if something happens in your life, you're wondering, how in the world did I get here? What caused me to get to this situation in my life? What happened? All you got to do is trace it back. Trace back the, the repercussions, the actions. Right, to the movement, where did the movement initiate? When did I start walking in this direction, going in this direction? And then you trace it back from there. Where did the desire start? Where did the desire start? And then from there you go to the thoughts. Where did the thought come from? Where did this come from? And then from there, back to the mind. See, it all translates back to the mind. That's why this is so huge. It's so huge. Again, what our, our, is in, our mind is influenced by, will literally shape, form, the path that we take in our life. This is so huge. It's pivotal. And there's, there's these three big things that I want to hit on inside of our mind that kind of shapes our mind. And everything else, again, the thoughts, the desires, the movement, the action kind of stem from this. And these three big things are our knowledge of God, our knowledge of God, our faith in God, and our love for God. Our knowledge of God our faith in God, and our love for God. And everything else stems from that. Everything else. So, so depending on how much 
the, the proper knowledge that you have of God, how much faith you have in God, and the intimate love you have for God will and then translate to your thoughts, to your desires, to your movement, and to your actions. It all starts from here, though. Every single thing that we do starts from here, translates out here. Again, guys, why it's so important. It's so incredibly important. And I want to hit on something else here that a lot of times isn't hit on when it comes to the renewed mind, but this is so important. There's some books on this that are really good. Um, and this is uh, the fact that there is a spiritual war that's also going on. And we've got to understand this because when it comes to the renewed mind, this is so key. It is so imperative for us to understand that there is a spiritual war going on and to know how to engage in this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, oftentimes we have to understand that there is a partnership between ungodly thoughts and demonic influence. Oftentimes there is a, a, a partnership between ungodly thoughts and demonic influence. See, Satan is the chief liar. He is so good. There is nobody that is better than Satan. And these demonic influences in our life, they, they want to lie to us all the time through different avenues in the world, they're lying to us, spreading these lies. And we're born into this world with all of these lies. And when we believe the lie, what we're doing is we're empowering the liar. You're empowering the liar when you believe the lie. And you're empowering that demonic oppression over your life. See, as Christians, we can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. You can be oppressed. So again, what happens is, rather than our life being formed and patterned after Christ, what happens is even as Christians, if Satan, demonic influences come, can attack us here, that's why it's called the battlefield of the mind. If he can attack us here, then guess what? Get into our thoughts, then all of a sudden it translates to our desires, translates to our movement, translates to our actions. So even as Christians, we are being used, we are under the influence of demonic oppression. That's why this is so key. Literally, everything that we do, even after salvation, everything that we do, the, the direction that we go in our life starts here. It starts here. And Satan and the demonic influences around us in this world, they will stop at nothing, absolutely nothing to destroy you, to get into your mind, destroy you and everything around you. Absolutely everything around you. That's why you see so many Christians that are going around causing so much pain and hurt. We're, we're the world's worst at just destroying and hurting our own. There's so many people that have been hurt by the church. You see this all the time. And there's, different, there's different ways that this happens. So many different ways. The enemy is, is smart. They know what they're doing. They're very powerful. Now we have a power inside of us that is much more powerful than them. But the thing is when we don't tap into that power, we just become a victim to them because they are much more powerful than us. Not more powerful than God, but they are more powerful than us. I mean, one of the things that they can do, it's, it's not just through the repercussions where, let's say, we, we go on uh, the offense and, and, and you know, we're being influenced by demonic in, in, um, oppression and we're going on the offense and we're doing things um, through these thoughts, these desires, movement, actions that we're, we're being influenced um, through demonic oppression to hurt other Christians. See, that's one way that we can do it or the world around us, destroying our life and everything around us. But the other thing is through offense. Offense. And this is huge. 
Because when people do things, when they say things or something happens, it seems just a little bit out of place. We live in an imperfect world, guys, and we are imperfect people. We are going to do things. I'm going to say something that's going to offend you at some point. You're going to say something that I'm going to be tempted to be offended by. It's going to happen. We're imperfect people, but Satan will come into our mind. He'll try to penetrate our minds, our thoughts, because if he can get us uh, into this offensive mindset, then he's got us in this victim mentality. John Bevere wrote an entire book on this one topic, one topic of offense. And guess what he titled it? The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to, do, to read that. The Bait of Satan. And I love the title because it's exactly what Satan does. That's exactly what these demonic influences do. They bait us. They lure us in, entice us. And then they just want to completely destroy us and everything around us and use us. Again, we can't be possessed, but we can be oppressed. And it starts up here in the mind. Check out Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. Again, that's why it's called the, the, the battlefield of the mind. The battlefield of the mind. So, so often we'll, we'll take out our, our aggression, our hurt, our pain, or whatever else on each other, but we got to realize that it's not the other person. Regardless of what they're doing to you, it's not them. It's what's behind them. It's what's influencing their life. And a lot of times it's demonic oppression. It's not your wife, it's not your friend, it's not your neighbor, it's not the person in your church, it's not any of those things. And Satan then wants to use you to be offended, to go back at them. But it's got to start somewhere, it's got to break somewhere. Something has got to break the pattern, but it starts here. What is being influenced? What is our mind being influenced by? Because again, that is how we're going to respond. Your response is your responsibility. Your response is your responsibility. It's not the other person over here or over there. What we do, what we do in the end, that is what we're going to have to testify to God. He's not going to ask you, what does your neighbor do? What did this guy do? What did your wife do? He's going to ask you, what did you do? How did you respond in that incident? In that, in that, I hear what you're saying about what they did, but what did you do? How did you respond? How did you, how were you used to accomplish my plan of redemption by bringing heaven to earth in that moment? I wanted to use you to be a catalyst to, to bring heaven to earth in that moment. What we do is up to us. Our response is our responsibility. And Satan will stop at nothing to destroy us. He's not going to give up, guys. He doesn't give up. He's got nothing else to do. He knows he's defeated. He's going to keep on going until we're destroyed. He's going to take down as many of us as he possibly can. And, and with this oppression, it can be individual oppression or it can even be generational oppression that, that goes on. And we're, I'm going to hit on just a little bit longer. This is a whole sermon we could preach, but um, generational oppression. So it can be, for example, abuse or a neglect or addiction. Or there's all these different things, all these different things that happen, unfaithfulness. Let's check out 2 Corinthians 10, the last part of verse 4 and the verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's the thing, and I want you guys to get this. And again, this is so key to the renewed mind. This is so, so, so important. You have to take every thought captive. So what happens is, we're ha if we have this oppression, maybe you're, you're struggling with something, and uh, anxiety or addiction or whatever it may be in your life, 
And you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to keep on doing this. Why do I keep on doing this? And it kind of takes us back to Romans chapter 7 when Paul's talking about this. Why do I do what I don't want to do? What's going on? I don't want to do this. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. Why am I doing this? Why am I acting like this? Why am I hurting my wife? I don't want to do this anymore. What is going on? I'm a Christian, but I'm not acting like it in this area of my life. Why? What is going on? I'm going to tell you something. Until you call it out, until you call out that oppression, the demonic oppression in your life, whatever it is, addiction, abuse, whatever it is, and sometimes it's generational, until you call it out and you cast it out in the name of Jesus, and then you pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, renew you. The Holy Spirit's already in you, but to fill you. And then you surround yourself with His people, getting His truth into your life, into your mind, being surrounded by His goodness. Then I'm going to tell you something. The oppression will never stop. It will never stop. Satan will stop at nothing to destroy you, destroy your family around you. The only thing that will stop it, what you have to do, call it out by name. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's kind of hard to do when you're just sitting there staring at a middle or mirror or you're in the middle of a room somewhere. Call out to God. Call, call it out. Cast it out in the name of Jesus. Tell somebody, pray for me. Surround yourself with his people. The only way, that is the only way that you can get rid of this demonic oppression in your life. So many Christians will try to do this alone and they're wondering why, why am I not growing? Why am I not growing in this area of my life? It's biblical, guys. There is a certain way that God has called us to do it. And he's given us a roadmap on how to do it. He doesn't keep this a secret. He wants us to know, but the thing is, are you diving into the truths of the scripture to find this out? It is so key. It is so imperative. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive. And the last thing I want to hit on here, I just kind of want to hit on this briefly. And I'm going to invite the worship team up. God wants to take us, we, we hit on this a moment ago, God wants to take us from a head knowledge of Him and of His Word to an experiential knowledge of Him and of His Word. An experiential knowledge. So what I mean by that is we can read the Scriptures, and even the Pharisees, man, they could quote Scriptures like no other. These guys knew the Scripture. But see, the difference was they knew the Scripture, but it wasn't an experiential knowledge. They weren't experiencing the truths of Scripture. So what happens, we have to step out in faith. We have to step out in faith. The knowledge, okay, I read this, God is good. God is patient. God is provider. God is powerful. He's living inside of me. But until we step out in faith, which starts here in the mind, in our actions, what happens starts here. We step out in faith and actually experience His power that's working in our lives and through our lives, actually experience his goodness and his provision. One, one example is, for example, just tithing. Um, so let's say you're, you're going through a really rocky season in your life and finances are, are hard and you're like, man, I know that the word tells me to tithe. I know what God's done for me and tithing out of the right heart. And, and, and yes, he deserves it, but I, I can't do this. I can't afford this. You know, but then what happens, it starts in the mind. Satan will get to you. It starts in the mind. Satan will tell you, don't do it. You can't do this. Step out in this way. Then we read the truth of Scripture. We read that God is good and that He is a provider. And then we step out in faith. Starts here. Steps out. Step out in faith. And then you are actually experiencing the goodness and the provision of God. You guys get that? You are experiencing His goodness, His provision, His power. Guys, God wants to take us from a head knowledge to an experiential knowledge of Him 
with him. Intimacy in its purest form. This intimate, eternal dance. That is what he longs for with us. That's what we're created for with him. And he doesn't force us. He invites us. Waits for us patiently. But it all starts up here. It all starts up here. Worship team, if you guys keep come on up. Guys, again, the depth of our spiritual transformation and growth hinges on the renewed mind. This is so pivotal. It's so important for us as Christians. It literally sets the course, the pattern of our life. We'll either be transformed by Christ or conformed to this world. There is no middle ground in this. And this is as Christians. Paul is talking to Christians here. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to Christians. It's in order to be true worshipers of God. In order to truly live our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Holy and pleasing. In order for the power of God to work in and through our lives. Transforming the environment. Impacting the world around us. Bringing heaven to earth right here, right where we are. We have to be renewed by our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind by God on a consistent, on a continual basis. Continual basis. My question for you is, have you been transformed by the renewing of your mind? Have you been transformed by the renewing of your mind? And if not, Christians, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Father, thank you so much for the fact that you, you love us so incredibly much and you are so patient, you are so loving. This plan of redemption that you have set in motion for us, it's all about your love for us. You didn't give up on us. And you still don't give up on us. God, I pray that this information of the renewed mind, Father, that these scriptures, they, they penetrate not only our mind, but they, they reach our heart, God. They, they translate to our thoughts, into our desires, into our movement, into our actions, to where everything that we do is a living sacrifice for you so that our thoughts, our desires, our movement, our actions are your thoughts, your desires, your movement, your action, because you are working through us to accomplish your plan of redemption right here, right now, but bringing heaven to earth through us. And God, I pray that that is what you do through us, Father. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to the intimacy that you long for with us. Take us deeper with you, God. Help us to experience you, not to know about you, but to experience you and your goodness, your faithfulness, your power, and your provision. We pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus.